All right. We're Gotta rolling on our backs. Yeah, I like it. Like turtles in the sand. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. My first lesson in recursion. <laughs> Are we starting? Is this what we're doing? Yeah, but we have to at least welcome everyone. Oh, <laughs> yes. Welcome everyone to the pod, to the podcast. And now that's an interesting podcast. Yeah, we're very excited to be, to be here Oh, today. it's a good day. Yeah, it's a good it's day. It's an awesome day in Amsterdam. Absolutely. Not only that we have an amazing topic for you today, we also have great we news. We have great news. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to wait till the end for that one, though, huh? Keep them, keep them waiting. Keep them in suspense. Yeah. Or yeah. should we say it now? I don't know. Should we say it now? <laughs> well, now that's interesting has become part of the that's not canon collective. Collective, collective. I like that. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, we we added ourselves to the great uh, group of people who are putting together some of the most interesting things out there to talk about, uh, and they asked us to join and uh, to come along. So we did. We said yeah because it looks like a, a great way to. Uh, you know, meet new people and and try new things, learn a lot. Uh, they've offered to really give us some feedback, and that's fantastic. Yes. Uh, so yes. we're we're excited to join and happy to be a part of the family. Yeah, yeah. And thanks to Zane for reaching out to us and letting us uh, join this amazing group of people. Absolutely. Uh, more to come on that, I'm sure, in the future. So, what are we talking about today, Serge? Well, I really want to talk about Neuralink. Ooh, yes. Oh, this is such a great topic. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because this. when I grow up, I want to be a computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one ever says they want to be a computer, but we do. We definitely do. Yeah. Uh, like, so Neuralink. Okay, so this is another uh, Elon Musk enterprise. We talk about Musk a lot on this podcast. He's yeah. doing a lot of stuff. He's really well, getting in uh, there. I still wonder how many hours that man sleeps. <laughs> Can't be many. Can't be many. Can't be many. Yeah. So, okay, Neuralink, for the uninitiated, is what? It's a company that has at its goal to build brain-computer interface. Ooh, brain-computer interface. Okay, so that means we're going to think things and they happen on the computer. This this is a very naive more, more, way to think less, about it. More or less, more or less. Okay, the, all right. The idea is that our brains, in layman's terms, is just a lot of neurons cells collect, connected together yep. and there's a bunch of electrical signals yep. going back and forth. Indeed. And it's the it's the, the, the connections themselves they call the, uh, what's the, the technical term? It's called the connectome. Connectome, yeah. yeah. And pretty much everything that we understand today about our brains, which isn't a whole hell of a lot, let's just be honest, we're yep. still scratching <laughs> the surface on how the brain works, does revolve around this idea that it's the, the base part of the brain is the neuron, the connections that it makes is pretty much how we do computation, how the human brain does its stuff. And uh, yeah, we want to extend that then. We want to be able to tap into those uh, those neurons with something mm -hmm. and have something happen. So, okay, why we have voice activated, activated stuff. I touch a touch screen. I feel like those are all brain-computer interfaces then, right? That seems like a pretty good way to do things. In, in a sense, yes, right? Uh, but uh, you, you forget about the bandwidth. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, even Musk said that with a phone in our pockets, in our hands, 
almost 24-7. They, they, all, all of our lives are around this device. Like yeah. People stop forgetting their phones at home. Like You can forget <laughs> your keys, your right. wallet, yeah. but you will never forget your phone. Like, it, it, it's become this obsession. It's an extension of your body. <laughs> it's an basically. extension of your body. Yeah. We, we're essentially already cyborgs. <laughs> Yeah, funny enough. I mean, they used to. You, I don't know if you had this in school, but you know, they when we were learning our our mathematics tables when I was mm-hmm. in uh, elementary school, they're like, "Yeah, you won't always have access to a, to a calculator." I'm like, "I have access to everything now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I don't have access to is a calculator. I have a phone that does it for me. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it can and it can do integral calculus as well. I don't yeah. have to worry about just addition anymore. <laughs> I can plot a graph on my freaking phone. Yeah, and do a lot more stuff. As yeah, well. it's incredible to think about that we do carry around supercomputers in our pockets. Yeah, essentially, and this is a bit off topic, but our phones have more computing power than the computers on board of Apollo 11 yeah. when, when it landed on the moon. To go to the freaking moon, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're talking about with uh, brain-computer interfaces then is to increase the bandwidth of information going from our brain to yeah. the computer. Uh, interesting. Okay. And this sounds kind of like newish, right? Like this is brand new. This is cutting edge. This is only what's happening right now. No. And Ooh. and that's the fun part. Yeah. Right? Okay. Uh, we uh, like scientists, engineers, been trying to make this work for decades. And main reason is to help people who are suffering from certain disabilities. Oh, yeah. Like uh, there are people who suffer from ALS uh, or general Locken syndrome. Yep. Or if they've had uh, massive spine injuries. Massive spine injuries. Paraplegics, things like that. Yeah. 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 Anything basically stopping you from being able to interface with the world uh, using the standard approach like face, hands, you know, moving around, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a great example for those who watch uh, TV series and know, remember the TV series House. Oh, yeah. Uh, in one of the last seasons, there, there was an episode where they tried to make a patient communicate by moving a cursor on the screen to answer yeah. yes uh, and no sure. questions, yeah. right? That's quite old technology. Yeah, been around for a while. Yeah, been around what, for a what while. What was it? Uh, uh, Stephen Hawking didn't have. He just. It was a, an eye tracking thing for yeah, him, right? Yeah, uh, uh, St- Stephen Hawking had. Uh, it wasn't even an eye. It was a muscle next to his cheek. Ah, interesting. Yeah, he would move uh, that muscle to operate uh, a computer. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you could have tapped into his his brain, you wouldn't. He wouldn't have had to just feel the muscle movement, yeah. you could have captured the, the, the neural activity and yeah. then translated that into speaking, talking, moving, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, they, they had to do that uh, in later stages of his life. Uh, yeah, as, as his disease did, As his you know, yeah, disease progressed. progressed yeah. yeah, he used to be able to move uh, his arm and finger a bit, but as, the, as you said, uh, the disease over time progressed. And to be honest, uh, Stephen Hawking is a great example of how our species progressed over the years. Yeah. Uh, people with Lou Gehrig's disease on average die uh, in their 20s. Right. Like if, if you look at the statistics, even now uh, for the 20th century and before, that, that was the verdict. You are going to die. Yeah. But, but your brain is fully functional. Right. Right. And no, it's we, so sad. 
It is. Uh, but it's it is you're right. It's it we've progressed medically to the point where we can keep the body going. Yeah. Uh but it but now we're talking about going beyond just that, right? Not just making the heart pump and the lungs fill. We want to be able to see you interact with uh, yeah. the the outside world. Uh, essentially, it all comes down to the point that every person whatever their physical condition is has the right to the same level of quality of life as everyone else yeah and these sort of products these sort of uh, devices um, uh, allow them to at least communicate with the outside world and interact with it which i think is beautiful yeah it is and i think if we if you're talking about Neuralink, that's his stated goal right is to create a better version of what we've already had yeah so what are the kind of things that we have had have you uh, do you know of any details around like what's been built so far as i said the, there were developments throughout the decades yep. uh, there, there are different research and so on i think you and i stumbled upon a few articles Indeed. in in the uh, early 21st century yeah i didn't find much that went beyond 2009 yeah, yeah. and that's i think where the main breakthroughs happened right so our computing uh, power increased. Uh, we we start understanding better how the mind works. Our imaging improved, yeah. and also artificial intelligence research improved, and all that tapped in to giving us better results. Exactly. I think one of the first like really interesting articles that I found out was uh, the one from 2016. It was actually research done here in the Netherlands. Nice. Yeah, and it was published in Engel J. Met, uh, and they describe a woman uh, who was suffering from ALS, severe ALS. So she was two on the disability scale. Where the, the scale for ALS patients is from zero to 40, where uh, the higher you, you are, the, the more mobility you have. So two is very low mobility. And throughout her life, like uh, later stages, she was already using a type of brain-computer interface, sure. which would track her eye movement, and she would be able to um, like answer yes/no questions, th things like that. But uh, in that paper, they described how they connected four electrodes with four contacts on each to different regions of her brain. And they taught her throughout seven months to type with her mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. The speed, though. <laughs> so it was around two letters per second. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Per minute. Per minute. Two letters per minute. Okay. So she really had to concentrate hard. Yes, she had to concentrate hard. Yeah. And that goes quite logically right because uh, it, it takes a lot of time and there's not much bandwidth there yeah it's a yeah. real problem yeah uh i found something very similar uh when looking for what went before uh what we've been looking at i mean if unfortunately musk has flooded the airwaves with his new stuff but you can find uh plenty of places where there was a website called BrainGate that i came across where it's a, a group dedicated to exactly this, how to build interfaces for ALS patients and lock-in. Mm -hmm. And they go back as far as 2009 with their uh, research papers. And they've been doing similar things and, and a similar breakthroughs, actually. It's like we had, to tech, we had the set of technology that we needed to be able to kind of read information but not really understand it. 
Of course, then once we have the data, what do we do with it? And now all of these advances in our understanding around machine learning, the new algorithms we build there, I mean, no. talking to Alexa is exactly the same thing that they're using to understand how our brains work which is fascinating because if you follow back the ideas that led to Alexa, it was understanding how our brains work, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's this interesting loop that we've got going on. But it made or it gave them an ability to determine what the data meant, yeah, right? Yeah. To be able to, take, to, to find signal in the noise. There was a group from uh, Stanford's Neural Prosthetics Translational Lab did a very similar thing to a monkey brain in 2016 they'd had pretty good success up until that point mm -hmm. but it wasn't great and they taught a, a, a monkey to type their mechanism was a little bit different because they would watch the monkey so they would uh, do the implants put in the electrodes four five six things like this no really low numbers in the single digits um and they would basically train the monkey to push a button and they'd watch right so they'd see the neural activity happening in the brain but you have oh, no okay. idea what yeah. it means right so they'd watch him click a button and then uh, once they had the data, uh, they would then tie his hands down, basically strap him, but, but still present him with the opportunity to click the button and then notice the same patterns. So they mm -hmm. were pretty certain that they'd uh, stumbled upon it. Once they brought in the uh, machine learning experts to come in and get the data cleaned up, uh, they got to a 12 words per minute with the Whoa. monkey brain. So a little bit faster than uh, one, one letter a minute, but... <laughs> Two. Two letters. You know, two letters a minute. Yeah. But it's still, it still, it was an improvement. And uh, uh, really what you see is there's this fascinating thing about technology in that certain areas improve others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you never really know where the improvement's going to come from. It's kind of like when we develop better chemistry so we can create better materials, which lead to better computers, which allow us to create models and then see things better to create better chemistry that will then make better <laughs> you know and it just it goes around, and around yeah, yeah right and we've now you know we built these models about the human brain which allow us to understand more about the human brain which will eventually lead back into building systems that will allow us to build better models and all this yeah, so yeah. it's a nice circular pattern and you're seeing it kind of show up here but, but that's uh, that's what science does. Exactly, right? it builds on end, itself. It builds uh, on itself. We're learning from previous generations, from previous research, and trying to constantly improve and find out more as we go along. Yeah, Ray Kurzweil called this uh, the exponential growth. There's a there's actually a better phrase. Okay, continue. I will look at this up and say something later. <laughs> I, I, I want to stop at the Ray Kurzweil. Oh yeah, because if you don't, if you don't, I'll get into some other shit. <laughs> uh, one little segue that I want to propose. There's a company in Australia called uh, Cortical Labs. Instead of building brain-computer interfaces, they're building a new generation uh, of chips that require real neurons to be connected to the silicon Ooh, yeah so they're using um, mice and human neurons donated or honestly i, I didn't really look into <laughs> how they're getting those uh, all, all neurons are ethically sourced <laughs> uh, this, this is uh this is these are vegan neurons you know these are no <laughs> animals were hard um okay so this goes this is like uh going the other way around. So yeah. instead of taking a, a full brain and putting some silicon in, it's take silicon and put a little bit of brain on top. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And uh, their main idea is that this type of chip architecture would allow the microchip to reorganize itself based on the task that it's being presented. Oh, yeah. So s they're 
literally trying to hack the neuroplasticity ability of brains right. and add them to microchips. This is a this is a complicated problem about uh, machine learning, right? Is the models have to constantly be rebuilt. Like if you you build a model, it might be pretty general purpose for being able yeah, to do yeah. something, but you can't take the same model and have it do something else, right? Yeah, you have to build yeah. a new model. But yeah. what you're talking about is a system that can on the fly reorganize itself. Yeah, on a hardware level. At a hardware level. Yeah, because yeah. when we're talking about single purpose AI, you're right, right? Then you're building one model, it can only do one thing and gives you a good answer. Yep. You don't know how it got there, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's <laughs> normally a good answer. Spoiler alert, we still don't quite understand how machine learning works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you may be proficient in TensorFlow, but you have no idea what yeah, it does. <laughs> a lot of trial and error there. Yeah. Well, it, we're kind of brute forcing there, We are right? brute forcing, yeah. yeah. And uh, in a sense, our brain are brute force, uh, forcing information uh, because when we we get born, there's nothing there. There's there's no like abstract concepts. There's no ability to say, oh, this looks like a one. This is a table. It's a table yep. and things like that. Yep. We can we learn these things as we grow from right? your environment yeah yeah so mm -hmm. and that's just built in into our hardware so if you can build a chip like that that can do the same you can get to pretty wonky results and yeah. quite efficiently that's fascinating yeah but you do need then a system that would feed blood and uh, so right. we're, we're talking about a microchip that actually requires its own uh, cardiovascular system. Honey, did you feed the robot last night? Oh, I forgot. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to have to get a new robot then. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. So Imagine we, might, we might have ro ro robot cats and dogs, but we still have to feed them. Yes, yeah, no. mm -hmm. which actually could, could be even better because there is some research that shows that once you start caring for an animal, you're more attached to it. Yeah, okay. So having a robot cat is not the same as having a real cat. But to the brain, you might get attached to it the same way. Yeah. Uh, well, if you start fee caring, caring for, for it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That, that's the idea. If you introduce the component of caring, you, you may have a, a higher attachment. I think humans can attach themselves to the weirdest things. Uh, that's also true. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> Hi, we're the Curiosity of a Child podcast. I'm Anton, the son. Age 10, and I'm the daddy. <laughs> I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy. Aged a few multiples of 10. And we're curious about, well... Everything. The more you look at the world, the more you understand, and then the more you will see. We're a podcast about history, science, storytelling, and... The Curiosity of a Child. We like to dig into different topics, everything from the humble ox... They've been really important for the development of mankind. And in that episode, I had to learn about castration. Sorry about that. <laughs> Two, the most popular Christmas toys of yesteryear. We don't just talk, though. We like to experience. That might mean recording on location a 5,000-year-old dolmen full of spiders and reportedly the entrance to the fairy realm. Or simply tasting spices from across the world to uncover where they came from, how the trade affected people's lives, and how they were used. So, please listen to the... Curiosity of a Child dun dun. Podcast
I think we can see a pattern here, by the way. Like we're we're always talking about topics that are either rocket science or, or brain, brain surgery. surgery. <laughs> now that's interesting. The two things that are hard in the world: rockets and brain surgery. Yeah. Like, and uh, I don't know. We we don't pretend to understand fully that, but it feels like we're always going out after really the big guys. Exactly. There's a great SNL skit where this guy's walking around the room talking about how he's a He's a rocket science, mm-hmm. and and everybody comes up and says, "Oh, what do you do?" He's like, uh, "Oh, I'm an I'm a I'm a nurse." He's like, "Oh, it's not really rocket science, is it?" <laughs> and, he, and everybody, "Oh, okay." And then he turns to one of the uh, one of the guys and he says, "Oh, uh, what do you do?" He's like, "Oh, brain surgery." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> shuts him down. It's like, oh, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Okay. It, but but it is hard. It's and, tough, and that's the point. Um, you kind of said it at the beginning. We don't really understand completely what, what happens uh, in the brain. Yep. So throughout the years, we mapped out some regions of the brain. Like we know where your what, what your prefrontal cortex is responsible. Now we know where your sensory uh, data is being yeah. processed, where your visual nerves connect. And so, so we kind of know what regions are responsible for what. Yeah. But we don't actually know really how they all connect Indeed. together. Right? You know, it's funny that, you, that that some of the ways we've discovered mm-hmm. why certain regions do certain things is through trauma. Yeah. yeah. Like when things are missing and then you can't like move your uh, arm. Oh, yeah. that must have been the control area for the arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there was this great example uh, about a railway worker who got a metal rod through his eye socket. Oh. Into his brainstem. Yeah, the, the TNT then, exploded, right? And it sent it through his... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, not brainstem. Uh, the, it, it literally hit his uh, prefrontal Pre- cortex, yep, yep. right? And turns out that after that, uh, everybody who knew him reported that he became more agitated, more angry. He started swearing more. Yep. He became an alcoholic, I think. Uh, I, uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. So, so he had, like, his personality changed. Yeah. It's just, it's. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not laughing at the, the guy's, uh, you know, detriment, but it's just funny how we don't really understand. But it, like, there's this feeling, I guess, that, you know, who we are. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna get into all really off topic, you know, like <laughs> what we are as people in consciousness. But it really is just. There's a bunch of gray matter up there, and and it it it's really just it's, it's a simple idea, right? Electricity moving through a neuron. Yeah. But compounded in the billions. Um, because that's how many cells are in the ne- number of neurons in the brain is around 100 billion. Yeah, yeah. And which, off by the way, is the number of stars in the Milky Way galaxy. In case you were wondering. Uh, yeah, I, nice little side note. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why people come here. You know, exactly like, uh, for, for you, party you tricks come, and <laughs> you come trivia. for the you come for the interesting topics. You leave with a few little tidbits. You know, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, but it, I mean, <laughs> it's really what makes us who we are. And you take yeah. a chunk out, it's going to change who you are. And yeah. he learned that. The hard, hard way. way. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But but that's the problem, right? Uh, we're talking about brain surgery, and one of the scariest part is doing brain damage. Yeah. Like, you probably all heard trivia, like, when people are, are having brain surgery, yeah. they're asked, like, questions, or some people even get asked to play the violin. Yeah, during the, the surgery. During the yeah, surgery, Yeah, that's right? a real thing. And the main reason for that is that's the only way doctors can tell that they're not damaging the areas that will cripple you. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so... So now we're talking about, you know, it's one of the reasons why these sort of previous uh, forays into brain-computer interfaces have been in the already disabled, 
um, mm. because they're already in a really bad spot. It, what we're doing is to try to bring them up. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you take a f- perfectly healthy individual right now, uh, why would you even risk putting a brain implant in? Because you go, so you could cause permanent damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you could destroy things. Mm-hmm. Another things with all these previous researches uh, we talked about, and the ones done in the '90s and so on, is that they are major brain surgeries. Yeah, you're not, not doing like a little drill in the skull. Sometimes you you literally have to remove a huge piece of this call to get really into the brain and the more invasive our procedure is there's more chance of infections oh, yeah. uh, or something else to go wrong so that's why all this is super hard and requires like real optimized solutions Indeed. i would say yeah. yeah which kind of brings us to Neuralink, actually yeah because he's uh, you know, and, and, and as Musk is wont to do, he takes a really hard problem and he tries to innovate, I guess, or to try to solve it in a way that's going to be sustainable. Yeah. Uh, like with uh, SpaceX and Tesla. So, what did he do with Neuralink? How is he solving these problems, I wonder? I think the first thing he did was a similar trick he did with SpaceX, where he, did, he brought in experts from different fields into the same room. So normally when, when you look at history of building rockets, you would have the engineers and physicists sitting in one place, then the engineers who would actually build uh, the rocket would be in another place. And, and that would create this segregation yeah. where one system feeds another and it goes back and forth. That creates a lot of latency in the communication. So what SpaceX did, they combine all that into one single room. So he introduced uh, an open space policy uh, in the warehouse where they were originally working on. So, and then the people uh, could communicate with one another without any lag. Yeah. He did the same when it came to Neuralink. He said, okay, everybody's gonna talk to each other. It means that you don't have brain surgeons and neurologists sitting in one room and only living in their small little cosmos and then brain-computer interface people like the engineers and... And and we're talking multiple uh, disciplines. disciplines. Electrical engineering, roboticists, the machine learning uh, like we talked about from that other... uh, um, through the the monkey brain interface. Uh, yeah, they got data scientists, you know, and they're all coming together. It's brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. it makes a lot of sense because they're they're gonna they're gonna feed off of each other. Yeah. Now, I did I did see some uh, hot gossip about how the lead engineers and the head scientists and whatever and the, and the medical guys didn't get along. <laughs> there was a bit of squabbling uh, going about that, um, mostly because you know you put too many chiefs or sorry too many chefs in a kitchen. It's not a good <laughs> yeah. idea. You got to have a few, but it, it it does make a lot of sense to bring people yeah. together to uh, to figure out those complicated problems. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm. I would like to quote Pink Floyd in this uh, case: "Is together we stand, divided we fall." Oh, nice. Yes. And very nice. That that's something I think that Musk encompasses. Yep. He he realizes that the only way we can achieve something is by coming together and solving a problem. Uh, from different angles and we as a collective we as a uh, society are more effective together together than as individuals and i think that's beautiful to be honest it's inspiring 
and inspiring. Yeah. So let's talk about actually what he did. What is it? What yeah, is it? What, what is, is Neuralink, <laughs> right? For, for those who've been living under a rock, <laughs> essentially, it, what they did, they used the same technologies that we already had, yep. but they scaled them down. So they streamlined it. Uh, right now, their prototype device is about a size of a coin. Yep, small. Uh, in like terms of diameter. For my American friends out there, about the size of quarter. Mm, a, yeah, a little bit uh, smaller. Yeah. I, I don't know how, how, big, a how, how big a quarter is. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a size of a euro. Yeah, coin. yeah, yeah. That's all. It's I close can enough. Say. Yeah. Mm. And it's it has a thousand twenty four connections. They're, uh, they're, they called, I think they call them threads. Threads. Yeah. yeah, they call them threads. The device itself is called the link. Yep. That's how they call it. Funny enough, uh, so if we consider that uh, this 1024 threads would represent a single bit, then uh, you could say that the bandwidth of the entire device would be around 128 bytes. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, for example, 128 bytes it is exactly how many characters it takes to store this particular message in a text encoded in UTF-8. Like literally, like, like, the, word, literally. like <laughs> the words you just spoke were, would fit into 128. The words I just spoke would fit in 128 <laughs> bytes. Uh, it's what happens when you get a, a, a software engineer on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now the the threads themselves we got we got uh, ten twenty four of them. Yeah. They're super small. Yeah. Right. We're talking micron size uh, things, right? Um, so actually, I just read that the uh, one of the ways that they're going to or why Neuralink is safer mm -hmm. is because of these threads being so small. They yeah. can insert them into the brain without uh, damaging any of the neurons around it. Which is, of course, a, a first. That's one yeah. of the reasons why Neuralink is nice. The previous electrodes were pretty bulky, and and they would they're gonna they're gonna cause some damage. Um, let's see. The robot can uh, insert these needles with micron precision. It's twenty four microns across the diameter of these things. Super small. Now yeah. that also increases the chance that you're going to read a specific neuron. Yeah, yeah. Because each one of these threads along the length of it mm -hmm. have sensors. So mm -hmm. when they insert it, it's not just like you know, uh, listening to a group of things, they can get down to single neurons yeah, yeah. Uh, or a pack of them anyway. And that gives us a lot more uh, information, a lot of data to be pulled out. Of yeah, the, so it's less noise. A lot of signal that you can yeah, get yeah. from that. Yes, yeah. exactly. So uh, I, I casually mentioned it there, but they also invented a robot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because these things are so thin, uh, they need a device to be able to insert it into the brain. And because they can uh, image the, the brain beforehand, they can pinpoint blood vessels yeah and the robot can and this is one of the reasons they b built the robot as a human couldn't do this mm -hmm. is to insert this very thin thread uh between blood vessels yeah capillaries inside of the, uh, the at the very top of the brain on the cortex and that is one of the reasons why this is so safe because the uh, rupturing the blood vessel is what's going to kill you if you uh, hit the wrong one and it causes too much of a bleed out kind yeah, of yeah, thing. yeah um yeah, anyway, that was, uh, so let's say we get be better uh, fidelity. What are we going to do with it? We've got more data. Now what? Well, more, more data means you can actually do more uh, with the device. Okay. So uh, let's, let's just talk hypothetically. Uh, we don't have the numbers uh, exactly, 
but we can deduce based on what we discussed already. Uh, in the 2016 uh, experiment where a woman had uh, essentially only 16 readouts, uh, four times four, right? Mm -hmm. um, and she could type only two characters a minute, right? Uh, and it took a lot of effort and energy and a lot of training. Yep. Having a bigger bandwidth means that you can target areas specifically that are uh, responsible for language and typing and speaking and operating machinery. So then uh, you can extrapolate and say, with this device, we can reach numbers around 50 characters per minute or yeah. even uh, 70 characters yeah. per minute. Speeds where you can really have conversations with yes. someone. Uh, Real-time conversations. Now, in the most recent uh, video uh, he did where they were, they were showing off Neuralink, he had a, a fascinating uh, visualization where because they inserted this into a few pigs, pig yep. brains. Uh, into little piglets. Yeah, little piglets. Cute little thing. Uh, and they showed how with the full range of data that they could pull out, along with the machine learning models that they created, because don't forget, there's a lot of information that's coming out of this that they don't really know what makes sense. So the new machine learning algorithms help them predict and mm -hmm. create patterns. They were able to show the, the pig walking, put it on a treadmill, it's got a little gate. And just from the signals and from the, the manipulation from the, from the uh, machine learning algorithm, they could predict where its legs would be. So they superimposed a yeah, yeah. model on top of the pig walking, and you can see how close they are. Mm -hmm. And it's damn close. It's fascinating how close they are. So they can they extrapolate. Obviously, they didn't mm -hmm. do it, but the extrapolation here is that if the pig needed to control some sort of robotic limb, they would they get could do very it. accurate. Very accurate. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, and this is, again, we're coming back to why do this in the first place. It's because we have people who are locked in. Mm -hmm. And the more information you can get out, the higher fidelity, the more bandwidth, yep. the, the better we understand the link, the more they're going to be able to get uh, up and moving. Yep. You know, There's actually a, a study in Portugal that was published uh, end of last year that showed a new technique where you could read a specific uh, regions of the brain that would allow with 92-95 or something around that percent accuracy for people to control their wheelchairs in real time. Oh, wow. So if you take Neuralink, take that algorithm and that technique that they invented, combine those two, you can literally have somebody who will gain back mobility yep. uh, by not when they're not even able to move their own limbs. Which is, you know, gosh, that's just... That, that is why he's after this, right? That's why all of us are after this. The, the, the professionals who are pushing this there is to bring back uh, freedom. To people, yeah. if Stephen Hawking mm -hmm. had had this uh, technology, if it was available to him, how much more uh, could he have been involved? You know, how much more in his later part of life would yeah. he have been uh, uh, given back? It's it's so I'm so excited that this is where we're going, but I wonder, what about us healthy individuals? There are several ways how this can also improve us healthy individuals, like you said, and there's certainly a lot of ethical questions yeah. uh, about data protection uh, and, and so on literally if you think about it facebook or already knows about you so much <laughs> if it's tapped into your brain it will know even more yeah i think it's worth talking about it and if you're curious uh, you can check out our bonus episode 
want to remind everyone that we release one episode a month and a bonus episode in, in the middle of the month. So if you're listening that into the future, the bonus episode is probably already up. So go and check it out. If not, you'll have to wait for two weeks. Uh, Hold your horses. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. We'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, well, thanks everyone for listening. I think this is one of those topics that uh, we get excited about because we're looking at, we, it's a great time to be alive. Yeah. You know, the, the, the culmination of science and, and science fiction is, it, it's starting to blur. You know, the, uh, a lot of my favorite books growing up, um, uh, you know, the science fiction that was out there, it, it talks about this, like the connection yeah. of humans and machines. Uh, and it's no longer science fiction. We're, we're looking at the, the world changing in, uh, before us. Uh, it's a good time to, it's that, it's that inflection point, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, like kids today are picking up iPads and they act like that's always been. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandchildren will be like, yeah, I've always had a chip in my brain. You know, I've always <laughs> had a math coprocessor going around in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved, there was a series by a Russian author that I just enjoyed. It was called the Anclave series. Okay. Uh, I think it was uh, a trilogy in four books. <laughs> <laughs> As an author is wont to do from time to time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he talks about these hackers that had chips in their brains and what they would do. Everybody has a chip in their brain in, in that universe. Yeah. But what the hackers would do, they would extend their psychology uh, and their computation ability by imp- implying more processors. So they would use quantum uh, processing to, to connect to their brains to increase uh, their psychology and their... their um, uh, levels of computation to yeah. hack into different systems. So it was. Uh, I'm very fascinated by by this uh, topic as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get our flying cars, but we might get our brain and our uh, chips uh, before <laughs> yeah. before we get too old. And for the conspiracy theorists out there, no, Bill Gates is not trying to chip you, and not <laughs> and nobody wants to make you in a five G tower. Hey, I, I was hoping to be a five G tower. I need better speed, man. I need. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I think we should end it here. Uh, thank you again for for your time, attention, and energy. You can follow us on Twitter at TweetinTI. You can reach out on Facebook, just search for Now That's Interesting, or on Instagram at NTI Podcast. And don't forget, if you have your own uh, questions or ideas that you want to throw at us and maybe we want to talk about, please send them along in the same channels and we'll do our best to, to uh, answer your questions. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care. Bye. That's Not Kind of Productions podcast.